What's happening, you beautiful people? Welcome back. My guest today is Jack Butcher. He's a designer, entrepreneur, and the founder of Visualize Value. Jack has gone from being a normal agency designer to becoming the one-man army behind Visualize Value, a business that generates over $100,000 a month at a 99% profit margin. So today, expect to learn how to avoid getting distracted by shiny object syndrome, how Jack prioritizes creativity in a hectic business environment, what becoming a father teaches you about algorithms, how to sustain exponential growth, and much more. This guy is a force of nature. I think Jack has been pushing the boundaries of what people believed you could do in the creator economy. He's done illustrations for Stephen Bartlett's book and the Navalmanac. He's grown his course at this terrifying rate. He was selling NFTs for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what I wanted to really try and find out is, given that his business is based around creativity, how does he not get tied up with the urgent tasks that inevitably get in the way of the creativity, which is the driving force and the, the lifeblood of his industry? So yeah, we get to find out an awful lot about that today. Jack is a uh, is an awesome dude, and I'm very happy that he's flying the British flag in this uh, burgeoning creator economy as it continues to grow. If you're new here or if you're a long-time listener, do me one thing. Take your thumbs for a walk and press the subscribe button on whatever platform it is you're listening on. It's the only way that you can ensure that you are never going to miss an episode every Monday, Thursday, and Saturday when they get uploaded. It's the easiest way to support the show as well. If you love what I do, the best thing that you can do for me is continuing to listen and support, and you need the subscribe button for that. So go and press it. I thank you. All right, quick maths. The less that your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money that you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce the costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite and you are improving efficiency by bringing all your business processes into one platform. Over 37 thousand companies have already made the move so do the maths and see how you will profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com modern right now. That's netsuite.com modern. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, and gym-proof. They've got custom designs in gold and silver, necklaces, chains, pendants, bracelets, rings, and earrings. If you've seen me on any of the big cinema episodes on YouTube wearing a necklace, it will always be from Crafted. I absolutely love it. It works with formal wear, casual wear, whether it's daytime or nighttime. All of the pieces are super high quality. The designs are great, and uh, I love them. That's It's all I wear. Also, they have an unlimited lifetime guarantee so if your piece breaks for any reason at any point during the entire life of the product they will give you a new one for free get a 15 percent discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cd wisdom and using the code mw15 at checkout that's bit.ly slash letter c letter d wisdom and mw15 at checkout but now 
it is time for the wise and wonderful Jack Butcher. The British are coming. The British are here. I've arrived. We have arrived. <laughs> yeah, we have. Was it harder to grow a business to a hundred grand a month or to deal with a newborn baby? Newborn baby. Ten times over, I think. Really? Incredible, man. Just like everything you take for granted watching even people in the street with babies. It's like oh, everybody has babies. You know, how difficult can it be? It's freaking hard. <laughs> It's hard. What's been the biggest challenge? Uh, I think just like handing over your agency or just like just completely absolving yourself of agency for a period of time where the baby is in control, right? The baby dictates how the day is going to go. This is not a, uh, hey, this is the schedule for today. It's like you don't make those decisions anymore. <laughs> Baby's making those decisions, at least for a couple months right at the start you're uh you are on a different set of rules than you had ever imagined you were would be on beforehand um underestimated that to some degree but we're 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 at 14 weeks now so we're sort of arriving at uh actually we're recording this he broke a record last night his longest sleep ever so uh congratulations nine hours and two minutes so <laughs> are you tracking there, your baby's sleep have you got an aura ring on him he's got more equipment than you <laughs> could possibly imagine that's cool so talk to me about lessons right you this sort of one-man band running visualized value and all of the other stuff that you do and then you add fatherhood into the mix what are some of the lessons that you've learned from that i think um a lot of the business today has been based on this concept of using the internet to create leverage uh, like divorce your time and income, create products, not services. And those concepts all are incredibly, um, they're incredibly valuable to a business, but there is the connection between your time and the result is still very obvious when you take a, a step back from building those things. So um, big lessons. One was just how much, how much uninterrupted focus can lead to these like seemingly small things that create big uh, results down the road. So, um, you know, you could be walking around for four or five hours or sort of just like on the computer messing around, reading something, and then an idea just comes to you. Those periods of time are drastically compressed after you're, you know, in a situation where there's a human being depending on you. And my wife does an incredible job of like holding back the, the tidal wave there. But at the beginning of the process, it was very much a, uh, you know, the, the baby's in the room with you. You get like 90 minutes at a time before stuff kicks off. And uh, that is like, I think you start to reflect on the fact that the space that the space that I had before led to a lot of the, um, you know, the best work is not necessarily, I think Morgan Housel talks about this. It's uh it's not when you're doing the work, it's all the thinking that you do for days on end and then you just arrive at this epiphany and you're, you know, when a child is really small and you're looking after it, 
then uh, those windows to create epiphanies are drastically compressed. So you feel like at the start there, it's like, am I ever going to get like 90 minutes of clear thought time? And that's also a product of it being your first baby and you're like, uh, you know, you can't walk two steps away. You're really um, nervous. And I've heard these stories about people have their second baby in the hospital and they're just like, oh yeah, it'd be fine, you know. But when you're like first time parents, you're just panicking about, oh, he's making that noise. He's making this noise. Is he all right? You need to call somebody. <laughs> and uh, you're just, you just realize how much like subconscious, like uh, how much work your subconscious was doing previously because it was unencumbered with like the thought of having to protect and raise another human being. So just that like leveling out over time has, uh, has been a big adjustment and also just looking at time in a different way. So it's like, if you have an hour, be a lot more intentional with how you use that hour. If you can, you know, and sometimes that's not possible, but, um, yeah, it definitely gives you an instant perspective shift in the short term. And, you know, what am I, what am I, what am I doing? What do I want to teach somebody? How do you want, like, what do you want the trajectory of your life to be now that you're in a very different situation than you were a few months previous? So, yeah, I mean, it's the the shift in thinking is kind of profound in every direction. It's hard to even articulate a lot of the the different mental models that emerge as a result of it. It's such a multipolar, multidiscipline, multimodal change, right? You've just got all of these inputs and experiences layered with emotions and all manner of other things. It doesn't surprise me that it's hard to condense down, especially as someone who does this for a living, right? Like you right. synthesize complex ideas as a job. That's your that's your profession. Yeah, and yeah. You're struggling to do it. I think as well, an interesting takeaway from what you've just said there is to go back to deep work that Cal Newport says. He talks about how social media particularly can fragment your days into blocks of time so small that it's impossible to get any meaningful work done at all. To some people who perhaps have a less mindful relationship with their social media feed than you do, their Twitter is your child, constantly crying in the background, constantly permeating the subconscious, just this ambient anxiety that, ooh, I might have a notification, or ooh, I need to check whatever's whatever's happening online. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I I think uh, there you can... You can have those tracks running with a level of importance assigned to them that is not consistent with how important they actually are, right? This is an exception to the rule. The problem is, over time, you habituate. You just That myelin gets wrapped so hard in your brain and it gets wired down so hard that it, it no longer is a conscious decision. It was just a race to the bottom yeah. of the brainstem and now you just type in TW on your uh, you browse a thing before you even know it which everyone's yeah. got right everyone's got the the tw yeah. reflex t t in a lot of cases you've gotten down to t <laughs> have you okay fair enough <laughs> so but, but i was the the other uh the other thing that makes me think of is um is those things become so so much a part of your routine that you it's difficult to subtract them from what the actual driver of progress is it's like it almost becomes a part of the pattern so heavily that you're like if i stop doing that then this result is going to stop showing up and it's because it's tapping on so many of those like primal 
I'm not a biologist, but there is countless numbers of reports, research, like into how much that is like drilled into your biology at this point. It's so hard to separate it. And I've gone through a number of like feasts and famines or like fasts on like social stuff. And the idea that staying stuck in that feedback loop is good for the long-term results of a business is, is a myth in most cases. So many people, myself included, struggle to work out what the effective inputs are that are causing the right outputs to occur. Mm -hmm. And my industry, nightlife, right, it is so messy to work out. There's no such thing as direct marketing. There's the brand. Everything you do is branding, right? So you have no idea. Why is a night cool? Why is an event cool? No one knows. It just is. If you know, then it's not cool, right? Well, yeah, exactly. If you know, you don't know. Um, And it's so what we're trying to do, we're like, me and my business partner have this conversation every year. Do we need to spend as much as we are on and then pick any different category on guest listers, on online marketing, on physical marketing, on DJs, on bookings, on celebrity PAs, on whatever it is? And Mm. we always come back to, I don't know, because I don't know what's causing the night to be effective. But systemically, from a habit sense, a lot of the time, especially if you found a modicum of success, what you can do is go, right, nobody fucking move. Nobody move at all. Just stay right where you are. Continue to do the thing that you're doing because this this appears to be less broken than it was before. So let's not try and fix it. Yeah, spot on. I think the smaller the business, the more that's true, right? Because you haven't crossed the chasm into systems and delegation to the point where you can start to you can start to identify what's working and what isn't. But I think there's also this weird middle ground between something being really special and unique and small, which produces cool things typically. And then these behemoths that are more commoditized, like low margin businesses that have spent decades making systems and you can get stuck in the middle really easily. And I built a business like that a few years ago and it was absolutely horrible, like productized agency service business. It's just the most brutal thing you can imagine and it's just a race to the bottom so uh yeah it's uh that this whole idea of the the creator economy or being the the solo capitalist all of those traps are are very very dangerous and hard to avoid for sure what else did you learn any other things from integrating fatherhood (sighs) mums man mums are are just unbelievable my wife's resilience is just like just next level, man. Like you, th- I think uh, somebody told me the other week, they've got a really good friend who was like SEAL Team 6, uh, you know, like insane top tier military veteran, had his first baby a few months ago. And he's like, this is the most brutal thing I've ever Tops experienced. Out. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> can you even, po- and, and you're the dude in the relationship. It's like, you don't have the, like the biological um, you know, physical stress that, that, um, mom goes through and it's just remarkable to watch. And you have a, just a newfound appreciation for your own mom, for everybody else that has raised a child, people that are raising kids on their own. It's just, just remarkable, man. That's definitely the biggest takeaway is like mercenaries. Moms are just mercenaries. <laughs> just total killers. What yeah, about, yeah. what about taking time off then? So you have this child 
you yeah. want to be a good dad you want to spend time with them you also want to enjoy the experience right you know this is the first yeah. time you're gonna have the only time you're gonna have a first child so you think i want to immerse myself in this which presumably meant you took time away from the business yeah but there's algorithm loops occurring here there's the fear of being less seen did you get anxiety yeah. about spending time off so interestingly enough like the first few weeks i was like i didn't really i was really focused on the, like what's the high leverage stuff right like what are the like two or three things i can send out a day or where can i pull like stuff from the archives that hasn't been out for two years and just surface it back up and that kind of kept the momentum going and you're running on adrenaline for a little while the first few weeks it's like oh, i can get on my phone for 15 minutes and then you're just so wired that you can go back and experience fully um like family time too and then when the toll start or when the like sleep deprivation starts to catch up with you it's like while i was talking about at the beginning of the conversation where are these original thoughts going to come from and where is the like the window of time to start to um you know when does that start to open up so you can start to produce at the same level you were before uh yeah you start to think man am i ever gonna recover or i'm ever going to get back to that rhythm that i was in before and um yeah you start to realize that there's it's it, logically the risk is low right there's like you've built a huge network you can go back and kind of there's this anti-fragility to building an online business and a, a brand under your own name which would short of like nuclear fallout disaster there's not i'm not really worried about opportunity on a grand scale it's like even like freelance clients or whatever else but to sort of lose the momentum of a of a huge thing is something that you start to get anxious about it's uh because like you say the 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 way your content gets shown and you work on youtube which i think is even more Vicious. brutal than something like a, a twitter where there is some element of um, I won't say meritocracy, but if you get the if you plug into the right thing at the right time, you can have these outsized results, right? Whereas YouTube is the grinders, like uh, like you have to get this many people watching it for this this percent of time over this period. Uh, You're so at the mercy of, of the uh, algorithm on YouTube. I think more than any other platform. Yeah, and um, I I I started to get that YouTube momentum maybe a year ago, and I I've not come back to. The, youtube very seriously because of that because it's like man i need to really decide to do it and pursue it properly um but yeah you start to see it showing up all over the place and you yeah it's it's just a reframing of reframing in general i think the the world is changing in a lot of ways too where you think about that like feast beast and fast mode of creativity and in the type that like the type of business that I've built, you really can do like a month of intense work, do a launch and then go, go away for three, six months, make something, come back. That's never been how I've operated, but I don't think that's not an option. So it's kind of Sean Puri had this really great, uh, analogy where he's like, if you have like a loyal network of people, you have essentially a stem cell. So you can use it to produce anything you want, right? You could turn that into this execution or this product, or you could build a community or you could like sell physical product. There's all of these different ways that you can like 
apply this, uh, th- these relationships that you've built at scale. But if you're just used to this like muscle repetition that you've been in, you, you, you lose sight of some of those other possible executions. So if the, if the situation changes, you have to zoom out a little bit and be like, okay, there's, there's still like, did you see that Tim Urban graphic, the wait, but why the path dependency thing? Yeah. It's very, very, uh, that kind of conjures up that image in my mind too. It's like, you've gotten here by posting six images a day to Twitter, but you don't have to get there by continuing to do that necessarily. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, man. It goes back to the, right, we found some success. Please nobody change anything. And especially as a one man army, you think, well, there's only me and my own neuroticism to deal with, with this. I've just got my own thought loops and no one really to pull me out of it. You know, when one of the advantages I suppose that you get other than scale and the ability to uh, pass work down to people and delegate and stuff like that, one of the advantages you get is the pattern break within your own neuroticism in a business. If you have a conversation with somebody else and they go, well, let me just challenge you on on that idea yeah, yeah. for a second because i'm i'm not sure but you you are only you right and you're holding on to this success that you've built bread and butter ground floor up you've seen it every single step of the way sat there on photoshop or after effects or whatever it is that you're doing continuously iterating and coming up with ideas and then somehow you need to have a new perspective because there's yeah. a, because there's a child in the mix yeah and like abandoning the uh abandoning the thing that works in in favor of something uncertain when you're weighing up the cost of the time you you know the time you get back versus the you know the momentum that you forego and i'm like my wife is uh it's like an incredible feedback loop and none of this would have happened on the business side without her either it's like that Doing it like really solo is, is is just probably incredibly intense, and I imagine there aren't are very few people that have no form of like local feedback loop. This like that's been a huge huge advantage. Um, did you notice? Yeah. Did you notice drop off then with regards to reach or conversions or whatever with Twitter and with Instagram during that break? Yeah, pretty. I mean, you can map it on a graph. It's like we moved, we moved house in August of last year as well, and the charts going like that, and then we move the month, it just completely tanks, and then it's back up again because you just um, there's there's leverage, but there isn't um, momentum. There isn't just like imaginary momentum happening, right? You you can you can create a leverage result, but you're not like I think that's this myth of passive income that people talk about, where it's like, oh, I wanna I wanna build passive income. It's like you could build leveraged income and maybe there are some forms of passive income that open up to you when you have just absurd amounts of capital, for example, but to live off of passive income when you're starting out is, is a myth. In my opinion, you need to pursue leveraged income where input is disconnected from output in just an outrageous, it's like how clever you can be rather than just how hard you can grind. Dude, that's a bomb. I really, really like that. The fact that people get confused with passive income. What they think is input-free outcomes. 
That's not what that's yeah. not what you get. You just get to overly magnify the inputs. Yeah, and I think if you've if you've managed to create leveraged income for long enough that you have access to truly passive investments, that is possible, but it's like rarefied. But it's air, not it's not know? within it's not within the creator economy. It's not within the things that we're talking about here. David Perel can't do rite of passage and not be there. Like people are there right. for David Perel. Like he took, I had a conversation with him the other week and he was like, dude, for two months of the year, twice a year, I, I stopped my life. All I do is rite of passage. Ali Abdal with his part-time YouTuber uh, Academy, that the guy just lives and breathes and his team now that he's got this huge, big fat team because these cohort-based courses are significantly more resource intensive than a, a, yeah. obviously just a buy and pay to play type thing. And man, these guys just, that's it. That's their life for a period. So yes, it's leveraged income. Yes, there is a degree of passivity to it because you don't have to be there as each person buys, but it's just magnification, not true passiveness. Yeah, and you're like, maybe your labor slowly reduces over time or the intensity of your like the necessity of your physical presence, but then that will switch to mental presence, right? Then you have to be a great operator and that's still, that's still effort and decision-making and uh, yeah, judgment at scale rather than just uh, leverage via some technology like being able to broadcast by video, something like that. It's like mm-hmm. building a team that can keep doing that. I suppose that means that you need to love the grind and you need to love the work even more so because a lot of the time people look at the this is pointless graph, for instance, from visualized mm. value, and they presume that, okay, so once I hit inflection point and I get these like, to the moon gains, I then get to take my foot off the gas and the rocket continues to go up. And you're like, no, you just get no. to magnify the amount of effort versus output outcome that you get. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, what is it, the Matthew principle? Yep. Like to like More will be given to those who have, have everything. Gotten. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What are some of the unseen challenges with your type of business? Forget the child. What are some yeah, of the yeah, things yeah. that people wouldn't think or don't see that you face? I think you touched on it there. I think it's the um, the shiny objects is definitely one. So you'll get to a point where it makes very little sense to do um but it makes it you really have to be good at identifying what the leveraged things are and that and it gets it gets dicey after a period of time where um trying to think of a concrete example here so building like building the mvp of a product and getting it out then getting stuck in like the iterations of that product for example is like I, I don't know the exact phrase, but it's like um, there's such a marginal return on all of that tweaking that should be spent on you know getting feedback from people, building relationships with people, meeting new people. Um, I think that the inability to zoom out and recognize what the le- what the true points of leverage are, I think maybe the biggest takeaway is the the idea of of self promotion so i think this is another thing in the that could be extracted from that graph is like past a certain point you think that 
everybody's out there doing your promotion work for you, right? Everybody's out there talking about your stuff and hey, like I've published this many episodes and so now everything's going to take care of itself. And it's pretty remarkable, like even with a really sizable reach, like the, the world, a world that moves at the speed of the internet will forget about you in 15 minutes if you don't keep showing up. So how do you maintain this sense of perspective? You have certain things, a, a small number of tasks or operations that you do that add the most value, that achieve the most leverage. How do you avoid being caught up in the shiny object syndrome? It's a hard one. I think there is some weird responsibility to allocate a certain amount of time to pursuing shiny objects. I've discovered in the last like six months or so. So, um, there are certain things that are tra are changing at a macro level that you want to stay um, plugged into, essentially. But the perspective I think that's helpful is that just understanding what the like what the engine is, and for me that's like producing the visuals. For you, that would be like recording the and publishing the interviews, and sometimes in pursuit of those, in pursuit of those shiny objects that aren't that isn't it's not the work itself right it's just a different way to deploy the work or a different way to think about the work or a different medium for the work um none of it is a replacement and i think where we lose perspective is when we start to think of it as a replacement for doing the work itself so that's constantly how i find perspective and um like reset that is like okay none of this would have happened if i didn't show up and make these images and post them every day. Right? It's that simple. You just go back to that. It's like, if I'm lost or I'm like, Oh, momentum is waning somewhere. It's like, go and pick up a book, find like 10 ideas that are resonating with you, get in front of the computer, turn them into visuals, post them. And then like all of these opportunities that will come three, six, nine months down the road, you may not know exactly what those things are, but the one thing that you have to, commit to is the you know the catalyst that's going to bring the opportunities to you and i think we can sort of lose perspective that that's the input that's that's generating those outputs down the road and that this is pointless graph is is essentially trying to illustrate that like i could not have possibly predicted the naval book is a great example right the like starting to post these images of ideas that Naval has published as a way to find these tiny consulting gigs to get people to pay me to like design a landing page for them. Nine months later, there's a, like I have an illustrator credit in a book on Amazon. It's like, that's nuts. And that was never, ever like, I did not pursue that opportunity by directly. So it's about like this, uh, you're pursuing something and then all of these opportunities kind of start to, pop out at you indirectly as a result of you just like practicing in public. One of the things that I've noticed, again, going back to the club promo example, me and my business partner used to tell people to come to nightclubs for a long time. We didn't have mm. managers. I would manage all of the networkers. And then over time, you're like, right, okay, well, if we're going to run two or three or four nights a week, I need to scale myself up, right? So I need to get some managers in between me and the networkers because I can't manage 500 members of staff that are all guest listing for us. And then, okay, mm -hmm. well, I mean, if we've got 11 managers or 12 managers and four nights, we probably could do with a night manager that'll look after each of them. And it's that story, I think it's from the E-Myth, 
where there's a lady that has a bakery and she wants to build a bakery factory or something. And then three years later, she goes in to have a look at the people making the the bakery stuff, the loaves of bread. And she, she, they don't know who she is. She hasn't got a clue how the bread's made anymore. And a lot of the time, I think we use that paradigm as an individual creator. We take the paradigm of a big business and we throw that over the top. We get so caught up operationally, day-to-day, dealing with emails, dealing with the back and forth. Perfect example for the podcast is dealing with advertisers and um, recording the pre-roll intros. Like that's what generates the majority of the revenue. Mm. Have you paid your invoice? What are the talking points that we need to talk about? Have I tried the product? Do I think the product's any good or not? Back and forth with them. What rates are we going for? How long is it going to happen? And that takes up just as much energy and time and effort as the thing which is the reason that you are successful and have enabled those opportunities in the first place. Right. And focusing on the core and staying as lean as possible I mean, it's an, it's an argument for just uncomplicating the entire business process to have a single product, one thing perhaps, or one channel, you know? And yeah, yeah. I think um, Anthony Pompliano's done this quite well in that he did one network at the time. Is that right? I'm going to crush Twitter. I'm going to crush podcasting. James Clear as well. I'm going to crush blogging then i'm going to crush newsletter then i'll do book and i think he's now about to start podcasting or something like that so some of the smartest people are constraining the amount of shiny objects and operations that they can become distracted by because they know over time you will end up doing so much of the ancillary shit around the outside that somebody who doesn't have those complications will come in and punch a hole in the middle of what you were supposed to be the market leader for Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh it's osmosis it's like oh serious businesses or proper businesses do this like i need more skews i need like more channels and it it's like reading a buzzfeed article on how to be a good marketer right it's like do this on facebook and do that on twitter and do it's like it's not really advice it doesn't actually say anything it's more like figure out like figure out the engine and we talked about the like if there's some selfish component to that engine, then that's how you win either way, right? The the ability to turn an idea into a visual is not something that is only commercially viable or monetizable through a Twitter account. It's like a thing that you can do for people and on a one-to-one basis. So you have this like net that sits below the thing you're doing and you're adding leverage to it. I think it's very easy to get distracted by, um, or I, I don't, I don't know your exact story, but you were doing something else as well as building up this podcasting empire that is now you know, six figure subscribers on YouTube. It wasn't like, Hey, I'm Chris and I'm starting this business. I'm quitting everything else and I'm just going to start my YouTube channel because that would have been, you would have, uh, ballsy. Yeah. Ballsy, but also like incredibly difficult to monetize from day one. Right. That idea that concentrating your efforts until something becomes much easier to point at as an asset to monetize rather than this like sprawling beast where you don't really know where the the points of leverage are so it's yeah the rules the rules 
don't apply the, the same way to the individual creator as they do the, you know, the small business or the big business. And that's people read a lot of books with those rules in them and, and follow them and lose the edge that they would have created otherwise, which is, um, you know, the internet has enabled a very different type of business to exist and be monetized than something that needs 15 middle managers to operate. All of the rules are out of the window there. I really wonder, it's got me thinking whether there's a an argument to be made that you constrain the upper bound on how much you grow or how many different things you try and do. You have all of these potential opportunities that are going to come to you, but they might arrive before you've finished dominating the core or before you've reached an, a, a degree of power law inflection that is high enough that it's mm. it's unfailable now nothing nothing can add weight to the bottom of this rocket we're we're going to the moon like jump on board and yeah. um i would guess that most creators unless you are incredibly disciplined or single minded or absolutely adore the thing that you do will start to see these opportunities coming in and see them as viable business strategies well look this is mm. this is what traditional precisely and then that's when the rocket starts to run out of speed there could be a way you, you could imagine a world in which you spent all of your time dealing with customer inquiries about courses and mm-hmm. um, having calls with interesting people that want to just talk about your visuals and little side projects and this, that, and the other, and end up dedicating single-digit hours per week or less to the thing that makes you renowned on the internet. And the same goes for the podcast, spending all the time speaking to the advertisers or dealing with guests or scheduling or whatever it is. It's like, look, did you make this work when you first started? Yes. What was the thing? Why is, mm-hmm. what is the reason that people come to you? What is the very, very core of the product? Because this is the difference, right? When you think about someone like Nike, Nike have shoes, but their shoes really aren't that much different to an Adidas pair of shoe or a Puma pair of shoe. What you're buying are all of the ancillary benefits, right, and the outside of the onion. The reverse is true in the creator economy. Everybody's got the extraneous stuff because people can make nice podcast artwork or people can yeah. get the same people can even get the same guests as you. You can have the same guests yeah. as you. They can yeah, read the true. same books that you do and summarize them. What is the thing that you have? What is the UVP that you bring to the market? That's the thing that you need to continue focusing on. Yeah, I uh was thinking about this idea the other day and David Perel I think labeled this maybe as good as it's ever going to be labeled, the personal monopoly. You have the personal monopoly and then you have the monopoly. So the other idea I was thinking about is you have Amazon and then you have the artisan. These are like the barbell ends of the economy that we're barreling towards. Is like if you have a, you know, to quote a, the gnarly Jeff Bezos, your margin is my opportunity, right? The, any business that traffics commodities in any definition is going to get eaten up by Amazon short of some regulatory body standing in the way, like Amazon hospitals, Amazon everything, versus the you know 3 billion media brands that people can start. And it, maybe it's not exclusive to just media, but it's like the very small... Um, media is probably the best example. The, ve- the very small media business that is 
the only way you avoid being a commodity is leaning into something so extremely specific that people can't get anywhere else, whether that's like your personality, whether it's like the creative output of your process of some kind, or it's you, the way you enact, the way you analyze a company. Um, there's great examples of, of that all over Twitter of people that do the same thing as the Wall Street Journal in, in essence, right? If for the, the uninformed observer, the Wall Street Journal is going to give you a report on a business and so is someone like Packy McCormick or Mario Gabriel. But people pay hundreds of dollars a year to read uh, Packy's analysis because he's funny or like they like the way he looks at the world. Um, but you can easily get stuck in the middle of that chasm in like a, you know, sort of mediocre publishing firm that doesn't really stand out from either of the two so it feels like maybe i'm so close to it that i feel like it's happening really fast but it does feel like a trend that is that is taken hold at this point do you suffer with product fatigue obviously you've got these courses that you put out now those are one of the big drivers of revenue for you but you need to no one's going to buy a course twice right yeah yeah it's definitely a it's it definitely a huge consideration. So also there's some ethical thing there where a lot of my knowledge is in these two things at this point. So I, I had the 10 year career and then produced two products that summarize what I learned in 10 years. And I'm still learning between when I published those and now, but those learnings are really modifications to the products that already exist. They're not brand new things, or at least I don't feel comfortable making them into brand new things. And the thing you have to square with that is like the market get, the market is just like their attention span is so low. So it's like that stuff is old at this point. And you'll see, you know, businesses like, I won't name any names, right? But some people will put out 25, 30 courses on kind of the same thing maybe framed a little bit differently new name new cover new guest speaker um in order to just keep the attention of the market which you know you can make an argument that that's like the market makes the decision like if they buy it then great uh but personally like that that just does not fire me up so i'm always I'm now like maybe 50-50. So there's product development, there's like community stuff that has existed from the first round of visualized value products. And then 50% of my time is spent on like, what is the next thing? What are the new mediums that uh, I can go and take a massive risk on for six months because I have a parachute and then I can bring that knowledge back to the people that maybe are where I was two, three, four years ago if we continue to go the knowledge route um there's also just like this is a whole other rabbit hole like a lot of web3 technologies that i've been introduced to the nft stuff like that whole crypto market is fascinating to me right now which is uh causing a like circle of learning and uh trying to figure out how to how to dive into that world too so yeah product fatigue is definitely real and the way to it's just a difficult thing to address in a world that has like a really, really short attention span. It's very hard to address product fatigue unless you're in a publishing business. That's, you know, like your business is a perfect example of this. It's like you do the same thing over and over again. You love doing it and it always produces new output. 
over time. And in a way, like visualized value gets more diluted the more it produces, if that makes sense. Like some mm. of the some of the things that I really want people to take on board that help me, like there's you you could argue that you do a disservice at a certain point by adding too much. There's only so um, many ways that you can describe the same concepts, right? And the yes. issue that you have as an individual creator that is completely self-powered as you are, as opposed to the way that I am, where I get to ride off the back of each person that I speak to, you have a upper bound on your inspiration level. You have an upper bound on your life experience as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we've talked about this before, but I think it's so fascinating the difference between a, a media, the type that I do, where I get to continuously get extra little turbo boosts on Mario Kart I just jump on it. It's like, oh, it's a Jordan Peterson turbo boost. Right, no, no, right. it's a Jack Butcher turbo boost. Now it's a Seth Godin turbo boost. And all that I need to do is just be a mirror for that energy. I get to take all that they're doing and you kind of just become a bit of a pedestal or a platform. And even if you look to YouTubers, you know, you look to the Ali Abdals of the world, they're kind of still doing that. There's a little bit more distance between them and the person that they're talking about or the concept that they're talking about but there's more degrees of freedom with regards to how they can communicate mm. those conversations and and those topics. Um, but yeah, it really is. There's something that you lose from being a, a podcaster specifically in that it's the least viral of all of the creator industries. As far as I can see, like if you want to make money fast, podcasting is not the way to go because it right, just, right. there's no associated virality with it, specifically not on audio, but what you do get is insane longevity because you essentially have a bottomless pit of interesting people to speak to. I'm never going to run out of interesting people to speak to. You know, mm -hmm. Rogan's, what, 1,800 episodes in, still going like an absolute champ. Eight, yeah. what, three episodes, four episodes a week sometimes, two episodes in a day sometimes, because he can. And because he's got this curiosity that is his driver internally, and he gets this extra engine that comes from the other people. Whereas when you are this solo creator, which, you know, you have become a role model, I'm sure, for tons and tons of people that think, right, fuck it. I am ditching this shitty job that I do not like. I don't want to spend my time here anymore. Jack Butcher made it happen. I can make it happen, which is awesome. Like, that's fantastic. But you are still on the upward curve of that hockey stick. What people haven't yet seen is what it sounds like we're now beginning to encounter which is, okay, first set of rocket boosters have fallen away. Now, how do I apply the second fuel cell to keep me going? Yeah, yes, it's a good analogy. The uh, idea that, um, I think this is an unattributed quote. It's like, young people have ideas, old people have money. So you see this transition happen everywhere. It's like people make money and then they become investors or they have like this feedback loop beneath them where... You know, you build a network and then you can power the network behind you with, you know, that have kind of a slight take thing that you uh, you built up or are deploying your expertise in a new way. Uh, I think these like and Web3 is a good example of this, like these. What is Web3? I have no uh, idea what that is. So so I'll do a horrible job explaining it, but essentially the the evolution of the Web 
the best description I've heard, the shortest description I've heard, web 1.0 is information links, right? So it's inf- you publish information, you can link information, you can link from one article to another, from one institution to another, Ed- universities used web 1.0. Web 2.0 is social links. So it's, hey, um, I Twitter, Facebook, like I know Chris, I met Chris, we built a relationship that way, I've published a bunch of podcasts. And then web 3.0 is economic links. So it's like taking the experimenting with new ways to incentivize people to create. So there's like decentralized organizations being incorporated where you'd have, you know, people working on a project in 15 different countries. They raise money from everywhere and then they give back a portion of what they earn on the first round of their project to everybody that backed it. So it's kind of just stripping away some of the formality of building businesses. And um, that is just creating a bunch of like, crazy new ways to do things online. So NFTs is like the, you know, the most, I think the the shortest leap for people to understand what web 3.0 is like, how does a digital artist start to collect revenue for their work? But the, the nuances that you can achieve with a smart contract are far beyond like selling a piece of physical art. So it could be 15 people make this piece of art and then, they all split the proceeds and then as this thing gets licensed and used in other places there's a contract that pays them royalties so um all of the like monetization structures that youtube for example are taking i don't know what percent now probably something crazy but they give you a ton of distribution so it makes sense there's a logical argument as to why they take some of that but um this new ecosystem that is being built i think is uh is playing into that idea of like one plus one equals three in some cases. So like where I end up after booster set of boosters one falls off might be, oh, this person is publishing a book that is that would really benefit from having these their ideas visualized, for example. So I'm gonna enter into an agreement with them where I want X percent of the sales of this book and then um, and we get into some mutually incentivized, not to say you couldn't do that without crypto, but it just makes it easier. And um, even digital access to this content can be, uh, you know, you can monetize it and, and get rewarded for it. So it still feels to me like there's going to be a huge power law, um, a huge power law distribution among the people that make it to one side of the curve and don't, as in everything else. But um there's some really interesting technology being developed to uh, just change some incentive structures in in building creative work on the internet. And I am not an expert by any means. I would love to send some links for anybody that wants to read about it because there's a lot of people smarter than me that have written about it. And uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Send them over. I'll put it in the the show notes below. One of the things we've talked about today a lot has been this sort of power law and this inflection point graph and most people have some form of real-world example of this hockey stick of returns. I have mine, you have yours, yeah. pretty much everyone has theirs as well. Can you take us back to before you hit the inflection point where you were at the this is pointless bit of the visualized yeah. value graph? Can you remember the sort of thoughts that you had around then? Yeah, I think if we talk about it it's, it's in the specific context of an internet business, this is 
before you really understand the, the power of network effects is how I can now like retroactively look at it. So you're only experiencing the downside of network effects at the beginning. Like you're embarrassed to publish stuff. Like you're, I've got screenshots of the stuff I was posting on Facebook three years ago and my mom is the only person who's interacting with it. And you look back at that now, you're like, why am I put, like I would go out and meet people and they're like, what the hell are you doing now? Like I, you quit your job and now all I see you doing is like posting, uh, like are you a motivational speaker? Someone asked me once. So I was like, no, no, I'm, uh, I'm working on a, a design agency. And they're like, all right, cool. Good luck. And it was just like, <laughs> it was, it was freaking brutal, man. It's like you publish this stuff and nobody interacts with it. But now in hindsight, it's like, one, it thickens your skin, which is a totally different conversation. Um, but two, there's this network effect happening that you can't even fathom. Like there are people that won't even interact with the stuff you're doing, but they're consuming it, right? Like if you, um, this is actually a link that I'll send. This is thesis that someone wrote about uh, branding where you think about I think George Mack wrote about this in his email recently where he says there's a different version of you that exists inside everybody's head that you've ever met. Your mom has a different version of you than your significant other, than like the person who reads your tweets, than whoever else, right? There's all these different abstractions of you. And I think when you're at the this is pointless phase, you are creating those abstractions, but you can't really fathom the long-term consequences of those like of all of those individual like ideas that you're planting or all of those like connections that you're making because somebody has probably got a name for this, but there's like a social cost to interacting with your content when it's not popular. Mm -hmm. So it's it's seen as low status, right? Yeah. So that breaking that, I, I have no idea when that inflection point comes, but it, it in, you know, in people that are having this conversation, it did, come at a certain point and um the other part of it for me was the cost associated with like a few people not really understanding what i was doing was lower to me than having time and economic freedom right so that was the everything's a trade-off and that was what i was trading was like being misunderstood for like rolling the dice at that point at being free so the the early payoffs of stuff like that were private conversations that people would reach out to me they wouldn't interact with the stuff like hey jack i I like what you're doing you need to explain to me how you might like approach something for my business in this vein and it's you know it's hundreds of reps before you get a conversation like that and it's because you believe somebody that's done it in front of you like i didn't do this out of nowhere like i saw people doing it i listened to people who inspired that were doing you it. um so seth godin's books i read in maybe 2017 the dip um when did this is marketing come out i think that was a bit later but um read a lot of his stuff and i was like you know what this guy's like maybe my favorite like my favorite writer and he seems to he seems to have done all right for himself i know i i'm not on that level by any means like i can't articulate ideas the way he could and but you know what the maybe there's just a few like shifts in perspective along the way where it's like i only need 
10 people to believe in me to have like a six figure consulting business. So do I keep posting stuff on Facebook for a few more months and try and get a few more clients or do I go back to work at a job? And, uh, so were you at this, at this point, were you conscious, were you cognizant of that perspective? Had you sat down with yourself beforehand and said, some people are not going to get this. This is a trade-off which is worthwhile. How much of this is being post hoc rationalized? Mm, no, I, I think I had that at the time. I think I was experiencing that at the time. Um, and I really didn't get it. Um, I had lunch with someone on Sunday who runs a business that has a, I don't know, 4 million email subscribers. And they were like, yeah, you know, I still don't really understand like the potential of the internet. It's like just crazy, man. Like you're always behind the puck, right? You're always underestimating the power of what you're doing today. If you're being consistent and putting stuff out, you're always underestimating the just fractal, like crazy effects that show up months and months or years later in some cases. And I think this is another idea that I've always struggled to articulate, but the just the notion that you did something for 12 months consistently if nobody interacts with it i I would honestly challenge anybody on the planet if you did something every day for 365 days like some creative exercise and posted it if you couldn't like create like one commercial opportunity off the back of that i just don't think it's possible like just the very like the fact that you know this is like proof of work and the concept of a CV taken to a new level. The idea that, hey, even nobody's interacting with this stuff, you know what I'm capable of because you've seen me do it every single day. So like at the very least, someone might bring me into their business to help uh, to help them achieve that result, whether it's... Dude, Jim, Jim O'Shaughnessy or, on the show the other day, he said he hired some new guy who's maybe from Bangladesh or India or something didn't need to see his cv he just followed him on twitter for nine months looked at what he was putting out on twitter and thought yeah that's my guy that's proof of work i can't remember who it was that said the top nine images on your instagram grid are the new cv yeah well it's not actually all that far off and um here's an interesting stat talking about the consistency thing so 90 percent of podcasts that are launched don't make it past episode three and of the 10% that make it past episode three, 90% don't make it past episode 20. So simply by producing 21 podcasts, you're in the top percentile of all podcasters ever. 1%, right? Yeah. Just crazy, man. I don't think people understand that. Like, that is crazy. Um, yeah. And just... Yeah, the t- you're in the top 1% and you've um, already like started to create effects that you are, you know, unaware of at that point. Like three podcast episodes, you could make the argument that six months time, nothing's going to be different. But 21 is like, it's not, it's not 17 episodes different. It's like an order of magnitude, more compelling, convincing. And I think that that is, you know, you talk about Matthew principle, you talk about anything that's like your thousand and first image isn't like a plus one. It's a plus like 150. It's yeah, just yeah, a, yeah. it's just different beast. 
let's say that someone makes it happen then, or they start to make it happen. They start to feel that hockey stick kick in. How do you have a strategy for sustaining power laws and keeping inflection points going? Yeah, I think this is a it's kind of non-tangible advice, but it's like you've honed your gut to the point where you can get there. Then I think it, some of it comes back to like trusting your instinct. So like that point in time where I'm producing stuff and no one's interacting with it, it's, it's all like information, information that's being fed to you in some way. Um, I'm, I'm working on a project right now with a few guys and we had an idea. We went from like idea in a discord channel to execution in like two hours. It's like, here's the idea, something like mock this up, do that, do that, do that. And you get, you arrive at this place and it's three people I really trust. And we all like, man, we did that so fast. That can't be right. Right. That can't be the, it can't be the answer. Like, let's go and explore a bunch of other stuff and we'll come back in 10 days. And it's like, no, the first thing was the right thing because it's not two hours of work, right? It's, it's the collective 30 years of experience between all of you that produced that first result. But you, for whatever reason, your, you know, your gut needs proof from your mind that it was right. So you have to go and pursue these like, ridiculous angles and then you end up back at the place you began so i think when you've gotten to any inflection point understanding that there's some intangible you have some intangible ability or you have uh an instinct that allowed you to create that result in the first place inflection points there for a reason right the hockey sticks happened for something so your ability to like lean into your instinct and like even if it feels at times like you're i don't know abandoning the set of rules that got you you know there's there's plenty of people that said that like what got what get you what got you here won't get you there it's the second set of boosters falling off or whatever you analogy want to use i like that one but the idea that especially if it's like all of the examples we're talking about is are network effects, right? And you have a huge number of people paying attention to what you're doing. It's then like trusting your instinct and going back to those people with like the newest iteration of your instinct, get feedback from them. And then if you're right, yeah, you just well, keep going. To continue the space shuttle analogy going, even if the booster rockets do get added on, the payload remains the same. Right, right. You know, it's still the same astronauts that are at the front or it's still the same payload that's being delivered into space. It's just, how am I going to propel this now? So many of the things that I think we've talked about today are around this weird combination of self-confidence, sort of trust in what you are, the intangibles, the, the source code of all of the different experiences that have kind of just made mm. something that you have, that you offer the market, that maybe is a little bit difficult to define, having faith in that consistency, the, the, the importance of consistency, because without consistency, you can't iterate. And consistency is basically just shots at goal. The more shots at goal you take, the more goals that you're potentially going to score. And then there's this sort of beautiful, this beautiful perspective that you need to be able to see the extraneous stuff to be able to observe all of the different opportunities but not get bogged down in the opportunities. And, yeah, I um, 
it's like the essentialism thing, right? Like what is the vital few areas of contribution that will make the vast amount of difference? 80% of the effort that you put in will, or 80% of the results that you will get will come from 20% of the, of the inputs. But a lot of the time we can flip that around and we start wasting so much time getting distracted with the new opportunities or getting distracted with the idea that there does need to be something different or changed, losing mm-hmm. faith in what it is that we do, stopping being consistent because we've got so many other different projects coming in and different opportunities that we start to slow down. And, um, the beauty that you have with the leverage is that one good idea iterated consistently is essentially an endless gold mine it's it literally is a bottomless pit of mm-hmm. opportunities and yeah as you said i need new ideas i need to keep things fresh but there is a core to what it is that you offer the market and continuing to stay with that is important and this somewhere in between all of this is the x factor right it's the right amount of variety the right amount of explore and the right amount of exploit that Mm -hmm. you have between them i need a little bit of new but i need to stay the same i need to observe the new stuff that's coming out and add on the things that work but i also need to not get distracted by shiny things and this is um i think it's cal newport that talks about this again he says that the best business people in the world are essentially complex hard to replicate decision engines that's Mm -hmm. all that they are they have tons and tons of intangibles and input data and they are able to like the old style accounting machines that feed out a piece of paper and they'll just feed out one number and that number is what you're supposed to do next and i think that trusting your gut and allowing that to come through gets rid of a lot of the noise a lot of people that get into online business and creator economies as well we're so cerebral we're so pulled along by the raw horsepower that we have cognitively that you think right i'm just going to think my way out of this problem yeah yeah but especially as time goes on, perhaps thinking your way into a solution at the beginning is a good idea. But as time goes on, you have so much embodied understanding of the stuff that you're doing. You almost, I'm sure that you get this when you create certain pieces of your work. You'll feel like it's good. You'll, you'll, it'll be sensed somewhere yeah. in you. I get that with podcasts. I just know, like, dude, that was like a dance or like a... Uh, like a, a football match or a beautiful MMA fight or something like that. It was, it was amazing. Why? Well, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Okay. I just, yeah. but I know that it was. And that trusting your gut, especially as the experience continues to go, focusing on simplicity, focusing on the things, the core of the very, very business, and then keeping that perspective. I think that that's such a powerful message. Yeah, it's worked so far. What is the price that you have to pay to be Jack Butcher? Uh, I think anybody obsessed with anything, it's, get, it's hard to turn off. I think that's the, um, the crazy thing about operating in a leveraged environment as well is you can always be doing 100 times better, right? It's like <laughs> you don't come home from work and you're like, day's done, you know? It's like... I could have used a different word in that sentence and the result would have been like, you know, two X. So I think it's the price is like, is just constantly critiquing your behavior in, you know, in a healthy way. Hopefully you can definitely get into dicey scenarios where you don't, um, you know, don't balance your health properly with 
what you're doing on the business side. But without that, I don't know if I don't know if the result is as possible. It's um, a healthy obsession, I hope. Um, what else is there? It's it's also the like. I'm sure you go back to your first interviews and you're like, you just cringe at some of the stuff you said. Like, it's just weird even three months ago. And you're like, man, what a donkey. Like, I just I just did that poorly now with the information I have acquired since then. Um, I think, yeah, there's like self-examination and uh, just recognizing that you're basically never going to get it right. And if you're, if you're, there's a great quote by Ira Glass he talks about taste. It's like the reason creative people get into the pursuits they get into is because they have great taste. But as your craft evolves, your taste is always going to outpace your craft. So you're going to look at your stuff and you're like, that sucks, man. But like, if you're improving, that's why, right? It's like, it's this unattainable goal you're always chasing. And just to fall in love with the with the fact that the goalpost is moving as opposed to like scoring. I think that's the, that's the key and everybody deals with it differently or people have different levels of, uh, ability to do that. Um, but slowly you get better at recognizing that it's just a sequence of today's and the goalpost is always going to move. There's a story about the Buddha and one of his most famous quotes, which is life is suffering. And the word that they have for suffering is dukkha, but some scholars contest that dukkha doesn't translate to suffering. It translates to unsatisfactoriness. Life is unsatisfactoriness. And this relates to how we are evolved, that there is built into the substrate of our being a degree of unsatisfactoriness. Every experience that you have will be tarnished just slightly. We're anticipatory beings. We imagine this amazing thing, and then we get there, and there's we should have had it blended instead of a iced mojito, or there's a little bit of sand between my toes, or I wish that I'd gone for the medium well steak instead of the medium rare steak. Even though it's almost perfect, there's always something, because that's how it's built in. And this dukkha bias, as I call it, as soon as you realize... That is a feature of life, not a bug. There isn't yeah. something wrong with the situation. The situation is always going to have something wrong with it. As soon as you realize that, from a creator's side, which I'd never even thought of before, the, the podcast that you produce is always going to be a little bit more shit than the podcast yeah, yeah. that you could have produced. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like there's answers I've given on this conversation. I'm like subconscious track. Like you sound like an idiot like, while I'm giving the answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I'll do another one in a couple of weeks time and I'll, maybe I'll answer a little differently. Yeah. There's just a fascinating, yeah, a, a fascinating thing that I think also has been confirmed through the, symptoms of building a network where you get introduced to people who are just like you admire at a ridiculous level yeah and then they tell you stuff and you're like what you're just human like, as well yeah you're just the same you're just struggling with the same stuff dude um, listen to uh, sam harris is on lex friedman's show right like lex is crushing it in the podcast space i think he's fully filled the void that rogan's left on youtube and congrats to him sam harris now that Jordan Peterson's been ticked off the list. Like Harris is next on there for me as sort of dream guests. And Lex says precisely what you've just said there. 
Now, this is a guy who does 12 hours of a 12 hours ish of deep work every single day, self produces his own podcast, terrifying IQ, blah, 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 all this stuff. And he says exactly the same thing that he's berating himself during the podcast for a thing that he's saying as he's saying it on the podcast. And he's chastising himself for how stupid and dumb I've just said this thing to Sam Harris. What a fucking idiot. Like that's how his inner monologue works. And to concede that, no matter how much better you get, no matter how many more capacities you gain, as you said, the yardstick for where you're supposed to get to is always going to be out of reach of where you do because it is a feature, not a bug, that Duca bias. There's a, uh, I think it's Oscar's speech, Matthew McConaughey. Have you seen that one? He said, who's your hero? He said, me in 10 years, I think he says. And he's like, who's going to be my hero in 10 years? Me in 10 years. Like, that's uh, like just a great model to think, you know, every day is some feedback loop that's going to put you in a better position tomorrow. That's essentially the game. I think a community is really important for this. And I, I can't think of any examples now, but you could imagine a creator perhaps who didn't necessarily have as much direct audience feedback as you do and fortunately as I do. This is the important thing. And, you know, to everyone that's listening, I've taken this on board as a creator, understanding what I really appreciate from people that consume my content. The friction now from me hearing something or seeing something that's good on the internet and congratulating the person that created it has essentially dropped to zero. Someone that I don't know, someone that's got basically no followers, someone that's got a million followers, I'll happily send an email to Lex Friedman's old public, or, or text Michael Malice and say, yo, dude, if you speak to Lex, tell him about this. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. But on the off chance that it does reach that person or whatever, someone that you do know that's great, that's just launched a new business, those bits of feedback, that congratulations or that reinforcement about them doing something good is worth a hundred thousand plays and it's worth 10,000 subscribers. That is a big, big impact on. So if you love what your favorite creators do, my advice is to tell them because if you don't, you risk them running out of gas and no longer producing the thing that you love from them. Co-signed. Duplicated. What drives you now? You've reached some degrees of financial success that I imagine previously would have perhaps only been a dream to you. What drives you now? Uh, I think getting into a situation where you can pursue your curiosity with a higher degree of conviction is, is like that's a nice feedback loop to get into. So um, the project I was talking about before where we, th- there's four of us and we made this thing in a couple of hours. Years ago, I wouldn't have... Uh, I wouldn't have gotten myself into a situation like that because it's like maniacal focus on the, you know, the engine that is creating the free time to do stuff like that. So it's definitely, there's two sides of it. One is the family time. So how do I build a business and a life that is like equally, um, equally prioritizes doing things that are going to help people I've never met and spending a bunch of time with, family and then the second part is like just by continuing to pursue your curiosity you you i have proof for this now that opportunities that i never knew existed will show up 
So it's just like that is the inherent drive, the thing that you have to come back and remind yourself is like, I don't even know what it is I want or what situation I want to be in. But if I keep doing this thing that I'm good at, stuff that I never could have possibly imagined is just going to pop up. So, and that, that's, we go back to the, this is pointless thing. It's like knowing that back then I knew it by osmosis because I listened to podcasts and read people's words that have experienced it. But that, um, yeah, just, just, uh, trusting the fact that that is going to stay true. If you stay true to the process is, uh, is definitely a driving force. Having faith in your future self like that, Matthew McConaughey said it on his Oscars speech. And I've got a buddy who likes to buy fast cars and spend a lot of money. And whenever he gets asked, dude, you know, you're fairly highly asset sort of leveraged up here. There's a lot of your net worth in depreciating vehicles that have got four wheels. And he says, it doesn't matter. Future Andrew will pay for it. And his self-confidence that whatever the situation is, that he will always get it sorted moving forward. Uh, I, I mean, his verges on pathological, which is also admirable, but not right, necessarily right, right. scalable not, not or replicable. Everyone, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's not <laughs> yeah. something that everyone can do immediately. But having faith that the small amount of success or the large amount of success that you've had has been due to something innate in you that isn't there in the market already and going, okay, well, let's go. You know, let's drill down and see just how long I can ride this until the wheels do come off or how far I can fly this rocket ship until I do run out of boosters because I don't know I mean do you ever see an end for the creator economy here is it we're talking decades of time here right yeah 100% I think it's uh I think it's like a huge transformational shift. Like the people that would have asked me those questions three years ago, like, oh, what are you doing? You're a motivational speaker. <laughs> now I run into them and I'd be like, how do I build a, how do I build like an online business? Or how do I start to like put myself out there online in a way that's going to, it feels like there's been a seismic shift. I think um, COVID last year, that's just, it may have been debatable a year ago, but now it's not, right? It's like you are, your identity is at the very least 50% online and 50% offline. Maybe that wasn't true before, but now it is. And I think everybody creator economy is just such a, I mean, it's such a broad term. And what I think it really means is, is like, you know, people participating in something with skin in the game online that, that feels to me like a, a fairly broad, but, accurate description of what we're talking about and yeah that like jim o'shaughnessy is a great example it like that guy that got hired for his podcast was because he's out there putting his work out and um this like he didn't do that to get a job on jim o'shaughnessy's podcast right he just happened to have one because he was doing this online for a period of time i think the more evidence that builds up in pop culture for things like that happening, the more people will start to pursue it, the more like the more of a positive sum game this becomes. And uh, yeah, you could go down a rabbit hole about what the eventual like spread of resources looks like as a result of that. And I think all the platforms and things make a lot of those decisions and like how people get rewarded for what they do. But I do not think it's going anywhere. Uh, to the extent that I would say 
um, like universal basic income at some point is is a inevitability because of like the amount of efficiency that will be achieved on the like on a commercial scale by any commodity business and then like we'll have a huge shift to you know people needing to fill their days with stuff you either create content or you consume content that's going to be a that's going to be the divide man awesome it's been a long time coming i'm very glad that i've got you on uh people want to check out your stuff where should they go uh, Twitter is the best place to start. So Jack Butcher and Visualize Value on Twitter, and then you can find everything else from there. Jack Butcher, ladies and gentlemen, dude, thank you so much. Mate, thanks. It was a pleasure. <laughs>